It's Friday, June 16th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. Get out your maps, ladies and gentlemen, because we are going to go around the globe this morning talking about news and updates that impact America and the world. First, we start in California, where the mayor of Los Angeles is angry about the arrival of illegal migrants. I'll explain why that is quite strange. Second, we head to the country of Honduras, where the president there is growing quite close to China. We'll talk about why that is. Third, we jet off to the Galapagos Islands this morning. Area leaders have found a way to help save that exotic land and save some money. Fourth, we head across the Pacific Ocean to the island country of Papua New Guinea with some very good news, actually, for the U.S. military. Fifth, we stop in the African country of Uganda, where the Chinese government has stepped up, while the U.S. and Europe have, uh, well, stepped out. Finally, we close out the podcast with news about a tribe in the country of Indonesia. They have some advice for us regarding Tuesday's report on digital exhaust. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. The mayor of Los Angeles is outraged this morning. 42 migrants have arrived in her city, bust there from the state of Texas. According to Reuters News Service, Mayor Karen Bass, who is a longtime Democrat representative from that city, She said that the migrants are a part of, quote, a despicable stunt that Republican governors have grown so fond of, end quote. Now, what she was referring to was the fact that Texas Governor Greg Abbott was the one who helped organize this latest bus trip. But to be clear, the migrants had told Texas officials that they would prefer to be in California, so Governor Abbott was simply happy to oblige. In fact, here is what Mr. Abbott had to say about this whole deal, quote, Los Angeles is a major city that migrants seek to go to, especially now that its city leaders approved a self-declared sanctuary city status, end quote. And I'll tell you what, he's right. According to the LA Times, the city council of Los Angeles voted 12 to 0 back on June 9th to codify Los Angeles as a sanctuary city. For what it's worth, Governor Abbott said that this is just the first group of migrants that he was going to be, well, assisting to realize their California dreams. More will be coming via bus next week. One quick opinion and piece of uh, analysis to offer you. It's hard to have any sympathy for a city like Los Angeles or New York or Chicago or any other sanctuary city when it is their policies that are attracting illegal migrants to begin with. And it's even harder to deny that that is true when a city council votes 12 to 0 to adopt sanctuary policies. In other words, be careful what you ask for. In this case, Los Angeles, you're asking for these buses. With that, let's move on from California to the Central American country of Honduras, where the president of that country is moving closer to China and further from the United States. So here is that news based on reporting from NPR, Reuters News Service, and the Sunday Times. And let's actually start with a little bit of history. About 10 million people live in Honduras, made up of mostly those with Mayan ancestry, but also a little bit of Spanish ancestry, too. That's because Madrid colonized the area, only to be kicked out in the early 1800s. And from that point on, Honduras became a land that was dominated by an assortment of people and countries and businesses 
that were always at each other's throats, right? The Mexicans, they took over for a little bit. Then some pretty heavy influence from U.S. banana companies and the U.S. government itself. And then for many decades, uh, this country of Honduras was stuck in Cold War fights between the Soviets and the Americans. Well, now it appears that the president of Honduras, who's a woman uh, with the last name of Castro, she is getting her country back into the middle of, well, a new Cold War, this one between the U.S. and China. So earlier this week, President Castro traveled to Beijing to meet with China's President Xi, all to formalize diplomatic relations with that country. Previously, Honduras had aligned with Taiwan, but back in March, this President Castro severed her country's longstanding ties, which had actually dated back to the 1940s. And the reason that she did that, folks, was cash. In fact, back in March, Honduras asked Taiwan for $2.5 billion in aid to help write off some debt, plus help them build a new hospital and a dam. But Taiwan declined. Well, within about a week or two, President Castro announced that she was going to switch her allegiance, and she did. Earlier this week, she traveled, of course, to Beijing, opened up a new embassy, and she signed 19 different agreements with China on things like trade, investment, energy, and infrastructure, which apparently includes that much-desired dam. Well, so far, the Biden administration hasn't done much about this development, only releasing a statement that Honduras can make whatever decisions they want as a sovereign country. But if the Biden folks want to use some leverage, they've got it. The U.S. is the largest trade partner of Honduras. Around 35% of its goods are exported to the United States. Although I should say, with these new Chinese deals, we'll see how long that remains true. And with that, let's head south from Honduras, due south, to the middle of the Pacific Ocean, where we are going to stop at the Galapagos Islands. And that is a place made famous by the British explorer Charles Darwin, who was there back in 1835. But decades before then, pirates of all kinds actually used these isolated islands as a base for raiding Spanish settlements in South America. Unfortunately, during that pirate era, and in the years since, there's been a lot of ecological devastation. You know, damaging the unique plants and animals on those very isolated islands, including the very famous giant tortoise. And because of all that damage, there has been a pretty long struggle as to how to best take care of and restore those islands, and who's going to pay for it? Well, the Galapagos are owned by the Ecuadorian government, but the problem is this. Ecuador's budget is strained with a whole bunch of other priorities, including having to service a lot of its national debt. And that debt is actually what takes us to the Galapagos this morning with some interesting or even hopeful news, as reported by Reuters News Service. And it's called Debt for Nature Swaps. And here's the financial idea. A bank or other investor buys up a government's debt, in this case, let's say, issued by Ecuador. And they replace that old, expensive government debt with new debt, and it has lower interest rates. But you only get that lower rate if you use most of the savings on conservation. And that's what Ecuador just agreed to. A $1.1 billion debt for nature swap with $18 million in interest savings going each year to preserve the Galapagos. So other indebted countries are eyeing this concept as well. Although I should tell you, there can be a political angle to this too. 
The Biden administration wants to use this tool to help countries adopt climate change projects. So those are the facts and data this morning on this very unique financial development. I'd like to offer you one piece of analysis and opinion. So you all know that China has dominated much of the world using what I've described to you all as debt trap diplomacy. Right? But to recap, Beijing uses billions of dollars in loans to countries knowing that they are much too poor to ever pay it back. Right? And once the poor countries default, China takes over key assets like ports or mines. So this debt for nature idea could be interesting, you know, a way to pull some of those very poor countries away from China and frankly insolvency and towards us, right? Perhaps we can help them refinance that debt with some very important conditions like recognizing Taiwan or forcing Chinese companies out of their countries with their mining concessions. Now, I'm sure that there are reasons to be concerned about this. In fact, some of you might have objections. But from my optic, it's at least worth you know penciling out to see if this debt for nature idea could work for us, at least on a case-by-case basis. With that, let's take our first break of the morning, folks. Enjoy the following messages from our sponsoring partners with one quick reminder. If you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. Instead, it's a message coming to you from your podcast platform based on who they think you are. We'll be right back. Folks, there are two things that I speak a lot about on The Right Report. First, we live in a troubled world, especially with China and the prospect of war with Beijing. Second, I talk about America's obesity crisis and how important it is to find ways to exercise and eat well. Thankfully, I've got a solution for both. ArcSeedKits.com a provider of high-quality heirloom seeds that give you food security and a healthy body. Now, some of you have asked me, Brian, why should I pay a premium for heirloom seeds when I can buy cheaper stuff from online outlets or big box stores? Well, Arc Seed Kits give you the type of seeds that our grandparents had, right? You can save seeds from each year's garden crop and replant them year after year. Plus, Arc Seed Kits have all of the variety you need, folks. Listen to this. Six types of beans, four types of squash, seven tomatoes, two corn, two peas. Whoo, don't even get me started on the root crops, (laughs) like beets and rutabaga and carrots. So all in all, we're talking about 65 varieties of fruits and vegetables. And here's the best part. These seeds come from a family-owned farm in northern Michigan. No mystery seeds that you might get from an online or big box store. So do yourself a favor and buy the all-in-one seed kit. Go to arcseedkits.com. That's arc, like Noah's Ark, arcseedkits.com. Enter right as a promo code, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get 10% off your order. So be prepared and invest in food security. Go to arcseedkits.com today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning. Leaving the Galapagos, and we are going to head west about 7,300 nautical miles, give or take, to the island country of Papua New Guinea. I spoke with you all about this country back on May 23rd when we discussed the battle for the Pacific, which of course is the fight between China and the U.S. for influence and supremacy amongst the 14 island nations that make up this region. Well, Papua New Guinea is one of the countries that we discussed, and they've been a little bit on the fence about who they would rather choose, whether it be China or the United States. 
And that is in part because Papua New Guinea, or PNG, as the locals call it, they owe China a whole bunch of money. Plus, they have lots of trade with Beijing in a way that, well, simply they don't with us. Well, be that as it may, PNG is making a pretty clear choice this morning of which side that they are ultimately wanting to be on. Right? And that is the United States and our partners in Australia and New Zealand. So let's talk about that news as brought to us by the French media outlet, AFP. First, a little bit of background. Back in May, PNG officials signed a deal with the United States that had to do with security and defense, but details were pretty sparse. Well, the AFP got a hold of that pact this week, and here's what it says. The U.S. military can have unimpeded access to six key ports and naval bases on PNG, allowing us to preposition troops, equipment, supplies, and materiel. In some cases, the Pentagon has been authorized to engage in construction activities, which means new or expanded bases. For my history buffs, you know that this news isn't really new news, at least in some ways. Back in World War II, PNG was one of the largest U.S. bases in the Pacific, with 200 ships at anchor, and that included six battleships. And they were used to retake the Philippines from the Japanese. Well, as you can imagine, China is not happy about this news out of PNG. They released a pretty angry statement about the U.S. escalating tensions. But I'll tell you, part of their anger is because Beijing had been trying to get this exact same kind of deal for its own military. But obviously, they lost out. Plus, they're going to have to wait a while to try again. PNG agreed to this deal, which lasts for 15 years. So those are the facts and data this morning. Just got one piece of opinion and analysis to offer you here. We need to tip our hats to the Australians this morning and our friends in New Zealand. Right? They have been doing a lot of groundwork for years to pull PNG away from China. And it looks like it paid off. So to our friends down under, much obliged. With that news, let's keep heading west from PNG. We're going to head all the way across the Indian Ocean to the African country of Uganda. Now, this morning, we've got news that China has stepped in on a very important oil deal after only Western countries and banks had pulled out. So here's that news brought to us by the South China Morning Post. But first, some background to this part of the world. And I hope you still have your maps out, whether it be on your phone or computer or in your mind, because Uganda is a pretty special place, truly. If you have a chance this weekend, do some internet searching on Uganda, right? Check out the mountains and the volcanoes. They've got tropical rainforests and savannas, swamps. They really have it all. They've also got some pretty incredible wildlife, including some mountain gorillas in a park that is wonderfully named the Bowindi Impenetrable National Park. Say that three times fast. Anyway, on your maps, I want you to focus on a Ugandan lake that is called Lake Albert. Right? It's right along the border with the Congo, and it's named after a British monarch from the era when the UK controlled these lands. At any rate, deep under that lake is oil, around 6.5 billion barrels of it, which would take around 30 years to properly exploit, which is precisely what the government of Uganda wants to do. The royalty and tax payments from this oil would net them around 2 billion a year, and considering that uh, their current national revenue is $4.5 billion a year, well, this oil would be an absolute game changer. But Uganda has a couple problems to deal with regarding this black gold. 
First, the oil is pretty tricky to get to, right? It's underneath the lake bed. Initially, the government signed a deal with the French oil company Total to drill some pretty, uh, well, technically advanced wells to get to it. All right, but that gets us to problem number two. The wells themselves are in something called the Murchison Falls National Park. And through that park runs the Nile River, right? It's in the middle of a jungle, home to giraffes and buffaloes and lions and all sorts of incredible creatures. In other words, we've got some pretty serious ecological concerns to wrestle with here. But the real tricky part of this, the third issue to wrestle with, is with the oil itself and how to export it. So let's start with the oil. It's a very waxy type of oil, thick, viscous in nature. And so to transport it, it has to be sent through a heated pipeline, right? 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And that would have to run all the way from this Lake Albert in Uganda to the country of Tanzania, to the port, uh, one of the port cities there, 900 miles away, right? So that would mean that this pipeline would be the longest of its type in the world. So taken together, we have a pretty complicated oil project that is going to require a lot of technical expertise, a, a lot of care for the land and the animals, and a whole bunch of money, all right, five to $10 billion all in for the construction. Now, to date, there have been a, a few different partners to help with that financing and the technical expertise that's needed. I mentioned the French oil company Total, but the government of China has also stepped in. They're uh, leveraging their state-owned company called the China National Offshore Oil Corporation. They got an 8% stake in the deal, right? And that takes us to our news this morning. 25 banks in America and Europe have announced that they are not going to lend a single dollar or euro to this project, right? The lenders made their decision after pressure from environmental groups who said that climate change was far too serious of a concern to underwrite this project, not to mention all the ecological damage that it might cause. Well, in response, banks in China and South Africa have said, well, We'll fill it. We'll fill that void of the financial dollars needed. Plus, the Saudi Arabian government, uh, and I should say their Islamic Development Bank, they have agreed to step up as well. The next big question, though, is what the French oil company Total will do, right? And that's because they're facing pressure to sell their 62% stake in this project, right? No word yet this morning if they're going to cave to the various environmental and banking groups and their assorted demands, but it is definitely something worth watching. And to explain why that is, let's pivot now from facts and data to two quick pieces of analysis and opinion. First, this deal is going to get done, right? So as the West pulls out and China moves in, we lose key relationships and our reputation, at least in this part of the world. And that's worth weighing as we focus instead on climate change. Second, and this is important, folks, I want you to look at your maps again for me. To the West of Uganda, Right, you are going to see the country of the Congo, right? And we've spoken a lot about this nation in part because of two key minerals, right? Copper and cobalt, right? Those are minerals that are very vital to creating lithium ion batteries, amongst other things, making them central to the dirty green energy revolution, right? Historically, Uganda and the Congo have not gotten along, right? Lots of militias and warlords are just running around in that region this morning, backed either by Uganda or the Congo. So what I want to put on your radar is this. What happens when this oil deal gets done? And it will. 
and the oil starts flowing, and Uganda gets another $2 billion a year. Well, as you think about what might happen in that scenario, let me tell you, if you were the president this morning and I was advising you, I would say that they're going to use that $2 billion to create some trouble in the region. And I'm talking about military trouble. And we need to be thinking about that, most especially building a closer relationship with Uganda's president, Museveni, who, just to be very honest with you here, he's a dictator, but he is aging and there will be a fight for what comes next when he dies to include the possibility of his son taking over the country. In other words, Mr. or Madam President, this oil project in Uganda is not just about oil or Uganda. It could have profound impacts on the global supply of things like, yes, oil, but also and most especially things like copper, cobalt, and another mineral called tantalum. That is also found in this region, and it is also critical for the batteries that power the dirty green revolution. So, my counsel to you once again, Mr. or Madam President, is let's pack our bags. Let's go to Kampala, which is the capital of Uganda, and let's see if we can make a deal. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go, so enjoy this next break remembering that if you don't hear my voice on these next messages, I don't endorse it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. On Tuesday, I briefed you on something called digital or data exhaust, right? It's the electronic signatures or evidence that you leave behind as you go about your day using your phone or internet or electronic gadgetry of whatever kind. Now, some of you have written in offering up suggestions on how to hide or otherwise escape from the, the, uh, the data brokers who vacuum up all that data that you leave behind, which, just to refresh our memories, that data is worth billions of dollars each year. Well, as we all think about that, I want to tell you about one good suggestion that I received. Well, actually, I didn't really receive it, uh, in part because the people who gave me the idea don't have email phones, or any electronic gadgetry of any kind. So here's that story and the suggestion as reported by CBS News. If you've got your maps uh, with you, I I want you to look for the Asian country of Indonesia. And on the island of Java, there is a group of inhabitants called the Badui people, right? To say that these folks live simply would be an understatement, right? They have No electricity, no vehicles, and they reject education. They live off the land. And by the way, they only use very simple tools, no plows or machinery of any kind. Well, within that is another group of the Badui people. It's called the inter-community or inner community. And they go even further with their austerity. And that includes never speaking to foreigners. So for that reason, they're often called the Amish of Asia. At any rate, one week ago today, these folks formally asked the Indonesian government to remove some nearby cell phone towers to ensure that no internet service could be accessed by anyone in the region, right? They want to block phones or any devices that have been, well, snuck in. And that's because they are concerned about the morals of their young people. Well, the government of Indonesia has heard their concerns and they have apparently agreed to the request. They're working on next steps to remove the cell phone towers and otherwise block access. So do with that as you will, but I flag it for you for this reason. 
if you really want to get away from digital exhaust, you can. Right? A lot of folks will say, oh, that's, that's impossible. We are too far down the path of modernity. Well, perhaps that is true. But as I thought about that, this argument that we can never go back, and these people in Indonesia are just so wrong, right? I couldn't help but think about the focus on our young people. In fact, I couldn't help but think about this next story. A young man in Michigan, 18 years old, right? Just this week, he was exchanging messages with a person on Instagram that he thought to be a young lady that was around his age. Well, it turns out that it was not a lady at all. It was a man. It was a Nigerian scam artist. Unfortunately, this young fellow in Michigan, he made a mistake. He sent the young lady a nude picture of himself, and the Nigerian man responded with the truth, along with a demand for cash, or he said he would release this image to the world. And the Michigan boy killed himself, right? And he did so because he couldn't come up with the cash. Now, I'm not saying that we have to become the Badui people, right? But I want to give us all permission to start talking about the, the modern society in which we live, right? We don't have to live with the, the devices and the tech companies dictating our futures or controlling or manipulating our lives with things like digital exhaust and data brokers. And yes, I realize that part of me saying that means that, well, we might not have any more podcasts, you know, no more right report. But you know what? That would be okay because we will find other ways to reach each other. For instance, I personally would not mind if we go back to the era of Paul Harvey and the old AM radios, right? Because those were some pretty good years. If we could get them back, we just have to channel our inner Badawi people and demand it. At any rate, just something to think about this weekend. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. As always, I will see you on Monday, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John. Chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.